Welcome to this episode of Athletic Training Chat. Uh, before we get into this episode with a uh, longtime listener um, and supporter of the podcast, Ed, um, which we really appreciate him being on this, we just wanted to shout out to everybody in these crazy times of COVID, uh, see how everybody's doing, offer an outlet if you want to get on a podcast and talk about it, or just talk through anything athletic training, we'd be happy to have you, or just have that conversation. So feel free to reach out to us on social media or at ATC at athletictrainingchat.com. Um, crazy times, but we will get through and we'll get them figured out. I know a sports being canceled in a lot of areas, there's some anxiety, but all in all, we'll get through it. Everything will come out on the other end. Um, as always, thank you to our friends at Mueller for helping power this podcast. And without further ado, uh, we bring you Ed and his lessons learned over a decade of being in the profession. Enjoy. episode of Athletic Training Chat. We are on with Ed Wozniakiewicz. Um, rehearsed that multiple times, but we got it pretty good, I think. Uh, he's an athletic trainer at Castleton University, a Division three school, and uh, really this conversation is going to be about kind of lessons learned over the past 10 years as Ed has just finished up his 10th year as a certified athletic trainer. And before I keep going, I will turn it over to Ed to kind of fill in his background on how he got to where he is now and then we'll jump in and learn some lessons from the past decade yeah so like uh joel said i just finished up my 10th year um i first got into athletic training uh in high school i had two athletic trainers um fortunately um and then uh so they got me really interested. I did a senior um, work study with them during the winter before baseball season. And then I went to Endicott College in Beverly, Mass, got my bachelor's in athletic training. Um, and then right after there, I applied to one grad school, got in. It was either not the smartest plan, but I uh, it was a all in or just start working. So that's fair. I, Got in. I luckily got in there, and I went to Springfield College in Springfield, Mass. Very nice. My first year, I wasn't able to get a GA ship, but um, uh, sorry, my wife might be coming in to change our son. Um, You're all good. Uh, we can edit as we need to. <laughs> that's fine. Um, so I wasn't a GA my first year, but I worked at my high school, which is a private prep school, uh, Deerfield Academy, part time. And then my second year, I was a grad student. I worked football um, until wrestling started. Then I worked wrestling um, that winter. And then as that year winded down and I was looking for jobs, Castleton State College at the time was looking. So I uh, went up, interviewed, and they, they were the first place to offer me a job. And I took it, and I've been there ever since. And I've been working football, women's basketball, men's lacrosse, um, all eight years I've been there total. So staying busy then. Very busy. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really curious as to the lessons that you've learned over the um, past 10 years. Cause I 
I'm fairly certain this would have been finishing up my 10th year as well. So I'm right in that same wheelhouse <laughs> um, with you. Uh, just, and I know I've evolved so much over that time, but um, I know you said you had some jotted down, but if we want to just start it, what are some of the biggest lessons that you've learned both clinically and just in general? So I'll start, I'll start clinically and, and talk more about what I've learned as an athletic trainer, um, which is um, with me, I was a huge bookworm. I was a very good student and just did everything on my own. So coming out, I just, I always felt like I had to treat my teams, do everything on my own, not rely on anyone. And about my third year in, when I started opening up to coworkers, other professionals with questions I had, instead of trying to figure out the answers for myself, if I hit a dead end, I started becoming a much better professional. So earlier on, I wish I had adopted more of that team approach because even now when I, when I have a hundred percent certainty that someone tore their ACL off of a Walkman's, I will still have one of my coworkers still, still do a, an eval as well, just to make sure that I'm not missing anything else. It's just a nice crutch. Um, so luckily I'm in a position where I have coworkers at hand to help out. But so that was the first, that was the first major lesson as an athletic trainer. I wish I had done sooner, but then um, the other one is no two injuries are the same <laughs> in terms of how, how they occur, how the athlete responds and how rehab goes. Um, the example I use most frequently when I'm trying to teach people about that concept, muscle strains, especially any one of the upper leg strains. I hate those with a passion just because the question we're always asked is how long is he going to be out? Yeah. Well, I can have a kid who has a grade two hamstring and I have a kid who has a grade one hamstring and that grade two, they recover faster they progress faster and they're able to return more pain-free and that what we consider a grade one strain is still lagging. So I, I, I tell coaches, especially with when I work football and you get to that sixth day of preseason and everyone's tight and you're starting to see everyone. Oh, yes. And you're just like, it's like, I just, in all honesty, it's morbid, but I really just wish it was a clean fracture or an ACL because it's, you know, six to eight weeks, six to eight months. And the coaches seem to understand that. Right to wrap their head around like let's let's see how this goes we're gonna try this today i don't think people get that as easy and i mean even after 10 years i'm still like okay i know what i'm doing but at the same time it's like why is this just not responding <laughs> so yeah i used to think it'd be, uh, i was gonna be real slick and kind of have my template of how this how i was gonna go through a specific injury i worked a lot of track and field so obviously hamstrings and hip flexors yeah. and then the more i kind of got into it i was like i could waste so much time trying to come up with this when really yeah. it's just general and you kind of ebb and flow and you know throw yeah. something different at it every once in a while because you almost have to yeah and i mean i still keep my templates but it's just basically like instead of being like a time frame it's a how they feel frame sure <laughs> and then and then paying attention to how they respond to that so 
so yeah, those are the those are the two major lessons I've learned. It's because we we learn everything as person person A and person B are going to show up with these symptoms. You do the eval. This is what you come up with for their injury, and this is how you treat it. And it's just very very cut and dry, and, and nothing about athletic training is cut and dry. Right. I mean, so, and then. I mean, some the other lessons I'd say are more on a personal basis. So um, one of the things I was thinking about is when I first moved up to Vermont, I had a girlfriend who's now my wife. She was in vet school, so we were doing long distance. Um, and so I was in a new area, had no friends. Um, so I kind of just distracted my downtime with work. So I, I put in a lot of hours. And now that I've made the life changes where now I'm married, we had our first son last year. And the expectation of where I'm supposed to, how much I'm supposed to be working or being able to do still equals what I was doing year one when I was young, had nothing else to do. Mm -hmm. so I think one of the things... I wish I had done is thought about what I wanted to do with my life. I like, like I knew I was going to get married eventually. I knew I wanted to have kids. So I wish my mindset had been like, okay, now I know I have nothing better to do, but I should approach work now as if these life changes are going to happen. So then the expectation that others have of me, Will still be that same if that makes sense no absolutely i was the exact same way as young you got nothing else to do travel all the time yeah why not and then all of a sudden reality starts setting in about life changes and yeah and and for me i mean when the life changes occurred they were very stressful <laughs> oh yeah yeah i hear you and i mean my wife she we started dating in high school so she was with me through undergrad and long distance and grad school. So she understands the grind, but at the same time, it's like, yo, you need to be home sometimes. <laughs> no, I, I couldn't, couldn't agree more. I find myself trying to impart that. And I, I guess I'm not exactly old in the game, but I've got you know, a couple new younger staff that, you know, one's long distance, one's potentially single, who knows anymore, but Mm -hmm. they they don't you know oh yeah i can just always be here and it's just like yeah but in a couple of years when you can't like i want yeah. you to still stay around so we need to set some boundaries now and yeah. the boss is telling you to go home like i don't yeah. care if you have nothing to do get out of here yeah and and that's the other thing too i think with the way athletic training education has been and i'm really curious to see how it goes with the masters of athletic training which sure. we'll get into a little later um as students, we're always super focused on our, on our um, major. So it's all athletic training. So a lot of like having the interest outside of work for me didn't exist because I was very tunnel vision, very athletic training. So that's the other thing I wish I had done is had developed more interest that didn't involve athletic training or athletics just to give a diverse background. And then that would have helped me like step outside, have a social life. So right. 
was a young professional, if I wasn't at work, I had something else I could focus on. Um, which for me, in my first few years, we I played pickup hockey. Nice. And then people people got older, not enough interest, so we don't do that as much. <laughs> but, but yeah, so. And then with that, just setting boundaries. Um, I, I think as young athletic trainers, um, it's very easy for some coaches and I, I'm generalizing, but the older coaches tend to know who's young, who's not, what they can get. And probably because they've seen a lifespan of an athletic trainer that they know, hey, someone young is going to try and prove themselves and yep. they'll do whatever they think they need to do. Because, I mean, when I first started out, I was going to make person A better <laughs> and I was going to work my ass off to get them better and if it took seven days for me to be in the office to work with that person i was going to do it so and so making sure you don't set yourself up for that staleness and potential burnout down the road so many things that sound so familiar (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh one question i had on here and it wasn't anything specific you had but i'm curious about it you mentioned you you know you were kind of a bookworm and i'm guessing probably say uh pretty good on research and everything now um i've had people you know with the evidence-based practice movement where it's just well if it's not in evidence then it's not really a thing and i've had that evolve for myself um, over the, the last couple of years because even i was i railed back against that not i've read plenty of the research but it can be just as confusing as it can be helping. Um, thoughts on so, that? So I, I don't read as much research as I should. I, I, re, I pretty much, um, I pretty much uh, rely on the position statements from the NATA. That's fair. Um, because I mean, with evidence-based, I mean, I think it's phenomenal. The concept when it's, and when it's used correctly is great. Um, especially like when you think of the research that's been done with exertional heat illness, Yep. a lot of that stuff has set the gold standard and those are what our position statements are based off of. So um, there's that, but I think there's just so much research that contradicts each other. And then to be able to apply it might not always be practical because we don't have, not everyone has state of the art or unlimited budgets to to do certain things. Um, But I'm definitely not one of those that, well, I do this and it works for my athletes. So that's good enough. Um, I did. I have started asking myself more, why am I doing this? Absolutely. And the big one that came up is ice. (laughs) Yeah. And I, and I mean, I haven't done enough of my own research with that, but basically with just some conversations, I have significantly decreased how much I have used in the past year. Yep. So yeah, like I said, I don't do it nearly enough. I appreciate, I fully understand its importance. Um, but still am critical at times. So. Yeah. I think that's one, like you said, you know, having your why, like there may not be, and there's more coming out, but I, I, this one specific, it sticks out of my mind. 
couple of years ago, we had a student do a presentation on blood flow restriction. And there just wasn't a lot of evidence for it yet because it just really hadn't become popular enough, I guess would maybe be the way to say it for people to really be like, oh, well, let's dig into this thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so people are just like, oh, I'll just dismiss it. Yet now it seems as if it's kind of maybe the, you know, the thing that more people are picking up on. Well, if you can explain why you're doing it and you're seeing the results and the athletes loving it, Mm-hmm. To me, like especially in our case because we're not billing you know and getting reimbursed <laughs> we have a little more freedom in what we can do instead mm-hmm. of kind of the tried and true but i think that's so important you know just take all facets of that in into what we do yeah and i i know nothing of blood flow <laughs> blood flutters. yeah i need to get into it more because all my yeah. staff wants to do it and i feel like i'm kind of the bottleneck right now because i get to be the one that buys it um so yeah. I, need, I need to get on i need to get on board and um at least have a general idea of what's going on yeah um other personal things. I know we mentioned coaches even before we hopped on, and so I'm looking forward to getting there. But uh, other personal things that you learned over the last um, So my thing is having a direction for yourself in the profession. So find out what interests you. Um, I mean, with, with athletic training, we provide a – a large range of treatments, rehabs. And so like when I go to NATA, the first few I went to for the conventions, I didn't know which talks I wanted to go to and I had a hard time picking. Mm-hmm. And I find I found myself in these patterns where it's like, well, I see a lot of ACLs. I'm going to go to this. Um, and, and everything. So figuring out what kind of things interest you, what kind of things you're weak in that you might want to get better in that, you know, you're going to use um, is another one that I wish I had known more just because I'm, I was all over the place. Sure. Um, Cause I took the blinders off and had no more tunnel vision. And I was just like, I'm lost. <laughs> um, the other thing too is if, if, if I, when I knew I had an inkling for wanting to get involved with organizations, either at the state or national level, which was probably my fourth year in, so about six years ago, I wish I had just jumped on right away. Um, I have, <laughs> what's nice now is I just found out I'm still considered a young professional. <laughs> Me too. I didn't realize that was 12 years. Yeah, it's 12 years, not yeah. 10 anymore. So uh one of my colleagues in Vermont, she was the young professionals chair for the state organization. And she just, she left last year and took a job in New York. And I don't know if anyone's filled it in. So I just, I just uh, found out it was Mark Danza from. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I was on a video chat with him. He's like, Oh no, yeah. you're considered a professional. So I turned around that night and I emailed my state organization being like, I don't know if you have the young professional chair filled, but I, I want to take it on because the, the great thing about our current situation, the pandemic and not working is I have expanded my athletic training network. Sure. 
massively and I have a new passion for athletic training in terms of what our organizations do for us because I've just always been so focused on patient care. Yep. And I and now I, I find myself playing big brother to new coworkers and everything. And now I feel like I can continue that but have a bigger effect on a bigger crowd. So so that was the that's the other thing too. Like for for any young AATs that are curious about it look into your state organizations, reach out, reach out to people. I mean, Twitter's huge. Uh-huh. <laughs> we don't bite. <laughs> yeah. So some people do, but I was going to say there's, there's a couple out there that might, um, yeah. but, uh, it's, it's few and far between. Yeah. No. Uh, do you want to get into coaches? Yeah. I think I'm very <laughs> curious as to what you figured yeah. out here. Cause like I mentioned, I think off, camera or even on this is one that my eyes have been open in the last several years and uh, yeah I'm sure because I know you're you're a big fan you're big into the working with yes and we provide services we're not servants and yep yep um no and like the thing is the majority of my coaches well yeah not the majority three out of three believe I work with them sure which is nice um yes those are awesome coaches to work with. Yeah, we don't we don't have a medical model. We don't Maybe our one either. The campus is one of those that just refers to the local walk-in clinic. So Okay. be under the athletics branch, but we have full autonomy over our decision making. And if we were to have an issue, our administration is phenomenal and will support awesome. us. Because I mean with me the the best thing I did with all my coaches is like look I like winning just as much as as you guys do. So I'm never going to put make a decision that is going to put you at a position where you won't win. But I'm not going to let these kids get hurt or cause further harm to themselves. Sure. So because I, I, I feel like really early on in some of the horror stories that I've heard from others is just – the coaches think we're against them. So I think when I even said like, look, I like winning just as much as you do that put him at ease. Like, okay, he's not gonna make it. So we suck or (laughs) he doesn't like me trying to get me fired for having a bad team. Uh, (laughs) So that was very helpful. Um, And with my coaches, like I, I think I remember listening to a previous episode. You've had what three head coaches for football in six years or something like that. Yeah. This is, we're starting with the third. Yep. Yeah. So I've been really lucky where my football coach has been here for six years and my, my women's basketball coach and my men's lacrosse coach have been here for all eight that I've been here. Okay. So I've had a, a lot of consistency um, and many years to develop great trust between everyone and a great working relationship. Um, and like with my coaches, the, the one thing I always tell my students in our education program when they're about to graduate, communicate, communicate, communicate. And I say it three times because there's, there's phone or text, email, and there's in person. And so I try and utilize all three with my coaches 
um, like my injury reports I do on an Excel form Yep. and I send that daily. Um, I go to their offices, I'll talk to them. And sometimes it's about business. Sometimes it's just to go down there and, and just talk about whatever. Um, I think that's important. And usually like the text or the phone call is like somewhat important. I want you to just know this as soon as possible. So you're not caught off guard. Right. And then with that, figuring out which method the coach likes best and utilizing that. So like, for example, my woman's basketball coach, he isn't a big fan of the emailed Excel forms, but I'll still send them as, as if I remember to <laughs> depends how the day goes, but a lot of times his office isn't too far. So like if someone comes, if one of the, the girls come in and I take a look at him, I set him up on a treatment. I go right to his office and say, Hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're doing. This is what her status might be. <laughs> so, right. um, and then especially with those in-person conversations, be prepared. Um, my, cause coaches are always going to ask why and for oh, yeah. thing. like, why did, they, <laughs> why did they get hurt? Why are you doing this? Why are you sitting them out? Why can't they get an MRI yesterday? <laughs> Sorry. We're not Alabama and have right, right next door. Yep. <laughs> and so that was a big thing is just, especially like one of my coaches, he asked very good questions. <laughs> so um, he's also friends with our team doctor and I think they golf together. So <laughs> there you go. They, they that always keeps it interesting. So there are times where I will do a little bit of research before I go into his office to have that conversation just so I don't sound like I'm caught off guard at all. Yep. Um, and then the other thing too is um, – with coaches, they make their living exploiting the gray area <laughs> for their favor. I'm a Patriots fan, so Bill Belichick's pretty much God. But, yes, he is a sketchy fellow who will read between all the lines. So <laughs> my, my thing I also tell students is because they live in that gray area, don't give them any. Right. No, that's – As soon as they – because as soon as you waver – in a decision, um, they will exploit it in terms of like, if I have athletes that are on the cusp where it's like, okay, they can do certain activities. So what's your practice plan look like? If there's any drills that are, that they can participate at 75% with no contact. And I'm, I'm talking lacrosse most sure. like football. It's either, you're going 100% or you're going zero in practice, depending. Um, so being like, hey, yeah, kid A can do this, this, and this. And I might have someone else that's like, well, he should be able to, or he might be able to. As soon as you say might, that is he can. <laughs> so <Yep>. so <laughs> um, especially early on, that was tough. Yep. Um, but like I said, because I've had that consistency, um, my coaches and I work really well together. So if I slip up and say might, and they call me on it at practice, I'll be like, come on, you know, exactly what I meant. Like, yeah, but, um, 
Yeah, for especially for young professionals, I think that's the big one. Like, go in with confidence, be black and white. And it's much easier said than done. Um, like I said, I'm looking back at my 10 years. Mm-hmm. And some of those conversations I had and how painful they were for me because I was very timid. So, which, I mean, having a mentor in your 20s is huge. Right. Um, and I didn't have too many mentors and I lost touch with some of my mentors previously. So that was, that's another thing too. Um, going back to some personal lesson, um, keep in touch with your mentors and, and balance some of your issues, your ideas off of them, get their input because we've all been through, <laughs> through the same stuff. So yeah, one I learned, he was it wasn't even an athletic trainer as a mentor, but he was a former track coach um, had, at a high level, and he was working in a different capacity when I was in grad school. And I still use what he taught me today in terms of working with the coaches is you got to find a way to get the coaches to have some skin in the game too when it comes to like an athlete coming back. Um, track, they all have – every sport has their unique thing, but – he was basically saying, you know, your goal is to try and get them as close to 100% ready as you possibly can. And mm-hmm. then have the conversation of you going, and obviously we always want to make sure the health and safety are first, so you got to be confident there. But I use that a lot with football even. Is, Coach, I think by Saturday if we do this, 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 and this, so-and-so is going to be about 80%. And mm-hmm. so then it's going to be up to you, is it worth – risking having him out there at 80% with the chance of getting hurt or to play the backup at 100% and see what happens. And all of a sudden when you start laying that out to them, they think about it a little bit more, at least the ones I've worked with. And I've had coaches be like, no, you know, we, we, can, we can rest him this week and really we need him for this one, so we're, we're going to go yeah. ahead. And it just makes my life so much easier because now I'm not the only one making the, the decision. You know, if the kid couldn't go, I would be like, hey, the kid can't go. It's just done. Like, there's not even a conversation, but. Yeah, and I I mean, it's funny you say that because I have those exact conversations. And similar to you, when when I started having those conversations, they went so much smoother. Absolutely. Yeah, it's been. Either, and it took a lot of the pressure off in terms of, like, feeling like I had to get the kid back. Yep. Um, But at, at the same time. I've had the same coaches and there'll be times where I'll go into them and be like, Hey, this kid, he's progressing. These are the types of drills he can do. And then I go out there and he's in street clothes and I go, what are you doing? He goes, coach said not to practice today. Those are my favorite ones. Makes my I'm, life just like, so easy. I'm like, I, I, I appreciate and I love the caution the coaches are taking. But at the same time, it's like the kid needs to do this. So he, he or she right. knows they are able to. So then I'll, I try and put them into a, a rehab drill on the sideline that's similar, but it's still, they still have that mental crutch on us where it's like, come on, start flapping your wings so you can fly. <laughs> yep. No, I've had that too. And I was like, no, for real, like he can do something. <laughs> They're yeah. like, oh, well, maybe tomorrow. I said, All right. All right. Yeah. No, those are, those <laughs> yeah. are fun. So. So yeah, like I said, I've been very fortunate. Um, right. 
Um, yeah, I've been the same. Camera. Way. I'm best friends with my men's lacrosse coach. So we talk about anything and everything underneath the sun. So also helps. Yeah. So any other lessons from the last 10 years that we haven't covered that you'd like to? I mean, like I said, for everyone, I think the twenties is such a crazy decade for everyone. Um, I can't remember everything that happened (laughs) (laughs) and you do. It's just, it's just constant growth. Um, Like I said, you're coming straight out of school. You can't anticipate what life changes you're going to go through. Um, So, no, I don't have any more lessons to share, but. I've got, I think, six or seven really good ones written down that we'll put in the show notes when we get this out. So, I think that's solid. Yeah. So. We'll move on to the AT chat questions. I love the AT chat five. Perfect. (laughs) Um. Where do you see athletic training going in the next five to 10 years? (laughs) So I've been thinking about this one a lot. Um, When the announcement for the MAT programs to start, I was against it. Okay. I just just thought trying to cram the education in. But as we've progressed along and some schools have already started it and my school's just about to start it, it just makes sense in terms of what you, if you were to look at, especially like physical therapy, how mm-hmm. they went to um, the DPT program. I just think they they've made themselves better off. So I think it's going to take a little while to take off, um, especially now with COVID. Um, schools trying to cut athletic training positions. So I honestly think the first few years are going to be a little rough in terms of salaries aren't going to go up right away. Um, So you're going to have the naysayers be even bigger naysayers um, because I think everyone's expecting like, Oh, this is going to go up. The one thing, the one negative I do see about it is programs are going to be cut because they can't support the MAT program. Mm -hmm. That's with the salaries not increasing. It's really tough to tell people to spend more money on tuition. Right having a higher return on investment. But like I said, I think eventually things will catch up. Um, you are seeing a lot more advocating for high schools. Um, like recently, Hillsborough County down in yep. Florida, there's that big petition. Um, and I even think Rick Burkholder is very outspoken about what's going on down there too. Absolutely. So, yeah, I saw that. So I think um, – I think these schools, yeah, we kind of have to publicly shame them into having us right now, but it's because we are so vital to, especially the high schools, because is it what, 35% in the U.S. before COVID-19? Yeah, something in that range. Trainer. So I think, I just, I can't wrap my head around why the schools that had them before think they can move on without having them. So I just think right now there's going to be a tremendous growth over the next few years and that that percentage of high schools without athletic trainers is going to continue to get a lot smaller. Yep. So you are going to see, especially in the traditional side, you're going to see more positions, I believe. 
Um, and then with the emergent settings, I mean, there's an unlimited <laughs> um, potential for that. I mean, how many more fire departments can there be with athletic trainers? A ton. Oh, absolutely. How many other how many other industrial settings would benefit from athletic trainers? <laughs> a lot that we don't even know about right now. Right, right. Um, so I, I think the profession is going to grow. Um, I do think it's going to be slow in the beginning and too slow for many athletic trainers. Um, but like I said, I think you get 10, 15 years down the road and it's going to, I think athletic training is going to look like a very different profession than when it did when I was starting undergrad in 2006. So agreed. Um, <laughs> what a, we've talked, been talking about advice for pretty much this whole episode. So, um, you can go with whatever you want with this one It's what advice would you give yourself as a young athletic trainer? And if you could just set the stage for when that would be, that would be fantastic. <laughs> that's a hard one now because that's what we've been talking about. Um, <laughs> I would say, I would say not to be afraid of being wrong or not knowing. Um, like I said, when, cause I was a complete bookworm, I had to have all the answers. I, w I wish I had been more comfortable with that concept starting right out because I, I have the conversation with athletes now where I, I will eval them over and over and over and still can't figure out what's going on. Mm -hmm. I, I flat out tell them, I don't know what's going on. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but we will figure it out one way or another. Sure. Um, and when I started having that conversation, the, the athlete started having more, like more skin in the game with that in terms of they felt more a part of the process because then they were starting to come and be like, Hey Ed, this is what, this is, I, this is something different that started now too. Could this be related? And we're just like, I don't know, but we can look into it. And, and there have been times where that, that teamwork with the athlete has helped in figuring out what's going on. Yeah. So. Well, that makes sense. Maybe you've kind of answered this one already too, but what has been the most influential resource you have found in your career so far? So I know everyone says they're mentors. Lots and of people do. But the number one, the number one um, resource, my experiences. I think that's the first because, time I've heard that. Because my thing is, from every, from every event I've had as an athletic trainer, I've always tried to think of what happened, how did I respond, how did my response affect those others in the situation, and what happened due to it. So, so I would put my experiences as the biggest influence. And then I have to say, AT Twitter. Um, I, I haven't been on Twitter terribly long, probably just under, just around a year now. But like I said, my, my uh, working through AT Twitter has been awesome. 
Like, I got to have a video chat with a group with both Katie Walsh Flanagan, Flanagan Walsh, and Kathy Deeringer, which I had never talked to an NATA president before. Right. So, um, and, I mean, like everything else, I mean, Twitter is so big. Being able to know what to ask, how to ask, when to ask. Um, we don't want Towelgate again. <laughs> but um, I've gotten so many answers and ideas from people that I've met through Twitter. Um, so I would say that that's been a big one. I would agree there. If you could change or eliminate one thing, could be a modality, a common practice, a mindset, or something else that you choose in the field of athletic training, what would it be? So I'm stealing this one from Nikki Harris at youngprof uh, underscore AT on Twitter. Um, she, she's just a badass. She's awesome. But uh, a few weeks ago, she, she um, tweeted, stop expecting CEU for every educational system you attend. Mm. But the credit, it's about learning and development. And at that point, because there's so much free CEUs out there for athletic trainers because we had nothing else going on with COVID and there probably was something that didn't offer. So people weren't doing it, but I read that and it just, it just sparked something in me where it's like, I've been thinking about it all wrong. And um, like she also added on a second point, which is don't be, basically don't be random, focus on weaknesses and improve in those areas. And like I so like I said earlier on, having that direction with the profession, figuring out what things you like, what things you are weak in, and getting better in those situations. So I think by changing that mindset of thinking you need to get CEUs, which yes, we need CEUs to continue on. But if there is something out there that you know is gonna make you a better practitioner or person in terms of even if it's bedside manner. Um, I know with mental health and I'm not very strong in mental health, but being able to change how I practice to keep some of those things in mind, um, there's no CEU value that would make it unimportant. I, I can't think of the wording now. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I understand. I'm trying in the background, but... Um, so yeah, so that just really struck struck me um, profoundly, and it's amazing because like otherwise before that had been like mm, you know ice stem that type of stuff could right, um, which have been beaten with <laughs> it's beating the dead horse with those. So yeah, I'm completely stealing hers. So if she ever comes on at chat some at some point and she goes to say that, you can be like I stole it. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I will do that. No, I think that's a really good one and uh, one that should be out there more. And then finally, what does being an athletic trainer mean to you? So being an athletic trainer, it, it, just the ability I have to have a positive um, effect on someone. And it doesn't have to be necessarily – when they're recovering, um, I'm out on the field. Um, 
so when athletes stop by for water breaks and they just want a quick chat being there um i'm usually the sarcastic funny guy um so so they're being able to have those relationships um for when someone does need me um so i don't know if that made sense either nope <laughs> i think that, i think it did Awesome. Well, anything else you'd like to share before we sign off? And also, where can people connect with you? Um, I think the only thing I, I would I would share is athletic trainers. Um, I know I mentioned Twitter. Um, there's a lot of negativity out there. People attacking each other, especially professionals and in other different professions. We just all need to start coming together and and making sure that we are representing ourselves and the profession in a positive manner and focus on what we're here for. And that's to take care of our athletes and patients in whichever settings we work in. Um, so just be nicer. <laughs> yeah. There's bigger problems out there for the profession outside of it that we need to address. And there are inside of it. So why don't we band together to figure out some of those? I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree exactly. more with what you said. Um, and then on Twitter, uh, my handle's at Edwaz, E-D-W-O-Z-A-T. Um, I'm not one of those uber um, serious athletic trainers on there. I, I tend to have some more sarcastic, funny responses. But <laughs> I will be serious. And then my Instagram, which is personal, um, kind of a little bit of everything, um, is at E. Wozniakiewicz, so W-O-Z-N-I-A-K-E-W-I-C-Z, at, um, yeah, that's Instagram, never mind, I almost said my email. And then my email, if you go on the Castleton um, Athletics website and pull up the staff directory, I'm, I'm on there somewhere. <laughs> All right. Well, we will uh, we'll link all of those in this when we get it up so everybody can find it pretty easy. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you taking the time and uh, it was great to hear what lessons you have learned and how they've connected with the ones that I have also picked up along the way. So I appreciate it. Yeah. Hey, thanks for having me. And I hope there's, even if it's just one person out there that gets something out of this, I'm happy with it. And and I want to thank you for having this show. It's been awesome. Um, like I said, like I said earlier, I'm I started out by listening to Candid, the Candid guys, and then uh, I found your your podcast, and I love it. And it's just been a great great opportunity to try and meet other people and figure out what others are going through. So, well, we appreciate that. All right. Well, thanks again. Thank you.